You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcva.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Well, good morning, church. If you would, please open your Bibles to me, the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, as we excitingly begin week 10 of an 11-week series on the first six chapters of the book of Acts. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. Why don't we just give the Lord a round of applause for this worship this morning. Praise team, choirs, orchestras, baptism to come in the 11 o'clock service. Praise The Lord, we have been studying God's early church and what they were passionate about, what they stayed focused on. May we be diligent. May we be faithful. May we be focused. That's exactly what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, staying focused on Jesus. Uh, We have, as a reminder, a devotional to walk alongside this sermon that our content team, creative teams have put together. If you're interested in that, this week, text the word START to 45776. So much of life is what you focus on. And that's exactly what I want to talk about today in regard to your spiritual life. Staying focused on Jesus. Focus is one of the primary spiritual ways in which God uses to grow and move your life. Focus then can change your life. Think about this. If you can't focus effectively, then you can't think clearly. And if you can't think clearly, then there is no way that you can live purposefully. And if you're not living purposefully for Christ, then you're not living faithfully for Christ. You see, your life flows where your focus goes. Paul says it like this in Philippians 3, verse 13. For this one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Focusing on Jesus is the key to truly appreciating His grace. There are so many countless distractions. There are so many things that are going on. There are so many ways in which your mind can go and flow. No, focus on Jesus. Appreciate His grace. It's also the key to perseverance. It's the key to keep on faithfully loving Christ. Keep on faithfully reading your Bible. Keep on faithfully encouraging others for Christ. It's focus that God does this. It's the key to growth. Keeping your eyes not on your circumstances or feelings or emotions, but on the promises of God and the truths of Scripture. It's the key to joy. Jesus, others, and you. Focusing on this paradigm and way of life that Christ emulated in this early church, so beautifully displayed. It's a key then to blessing. Focus on Jesus. And when we come to Acts chapters 2 and 6, Luke, the author of this text, has been providing us these bold and courageous summaries of the Spirit-led actions of the early church. And I got to tell you, Acts chapter 5 has been one of the most unique narratives in the entire Bible. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, and we can debate for hours whether or not they were genuine Christ followers. Here's what's not debatable. They lost their focus. Though they were a part of this early church and in the midst of this early church, their focus clearly in Acts chapter 5 was not on Jesus. In contrast, 
the apostles and Christ followers had this zeal and laser-like focus to be like Christ. They had this evangelistic passion to tell other people about Jesus. They had this focus on his mission and what that meant for their lives. And following the empowering of the Holy Spirit at the church in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, listen to this, thousands of people believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. 3,000 at one time. The Bible then says in verse 47 of Acts 2 that they were just day by day adding Christ followers to his church. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, 5,000 men accepted Christ after hearing the gospel. More than likely, it was fifteen to 20,000 people. 10% of the population there in Jerusalem had accepted Christ. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, so many were accepting Christ that they just stopped counting. Uh, they weren't Baptists, were they? There was this movement of God and His people because they were focused on Jesus. When we get to Acts chapter 6, verse 7 next week, the Bible simply just says, and multitudes of men and women were accepting Christ daily. We must stay focused on Christ and what He has commanded us to do. Because I assure you, with gospel ministry, it will bring both blessing and opposition. And today, here's what I want to do. Is that I want us to study, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles' second arrest and encounter with the Sanhedrin. And then through their persistent, laser-focused pursuit of Jesus, I want to give us five essentials. Five essentials to staying focused on Jesus today. Stay focused on Jesus. Why don't we begin our study this morning in verse 17 of Acts chapter 5, and your Bible says this. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night... An angel of the Lord appeared and opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they encountered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. The first way we stay focused on Jesus is by being faithful to his work. Faithfulness to his work. Now, previously, in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, Luke details to us the unique and continual signs and miracles of the apostles. What they were doing publicly to intimately present Jesus Christ to as many people as possible. The divine intent of all miracles in the book of Acts is not to say, look at us, but to say, look at him. Look at Jesus. And as a result of their focus... The church explosively grew. As a result of their collective witness, commitment, and submission to the mission of Jesus and what he had commissioned them to do, literally the world has never been the same since. As a result of this, both rich and poor from all of Jerusalem, the Bible says in verses 15 and 16, were bringing their invalid, those who had any malady, we're bringing them to the apostles to be healed. That by faith, that the power of Christ in and through them was daily changing lives. Can I tell you that you and I can have the same impact? 
Can I tell you that you and I can have the same imprint upon those who God placed around us? If we are faithful to his work, no one can derail you from God's mission except you. Remember what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28? Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who could throw both the body and soul into hell. Fear God and no one else. A faithful life is a fearless life. And though we have many challenges, though we have many obstacles, isn't it obvious, often, often even after these midterms, that you and I are no longer the home team? We have much work to do in our country. But we will not live in fear. We will be full of faith. We will trust the Lord. And we will stay focused on Christ and what He has called us to do. A faithfulness to His work. A faithfulness to live sacrificially. A faithfulness to give generously. A faithfulness to leave a legacy. A faithfulness as we reach beyond and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus, even to make an impact. In fact, next Sunday, we have such a way in which we can do this. We're just simply calling the next Sunday, find your place. Oh, there's so many things that we love here at First Baptist, but as we fulfill the mission that God has given our church to reach beyond and beyond by multiplying disciples to follow Jesus, we, we want to engage in worship. We, we believe this is biblical. We want to lift high the name of Christ. We want to open up the scriptures. We want to empower you and encourage you to live the life that Christ has called us all to live as we follow him. But we don't do this just in this worship service. We, we want you to be in a group. and th- That's why we, we have Sunday school groups and small groups that, that meet at 8 o'clock and at 9.30 and 11 o'clock all throughout our campus. We also, we, we want you to invest in a few. And that's why, by God's grace, we have just under 40 365 groups that are meeting all over Tulsa. Men and women studying the Bible and praying with one another and encouraging one another and serving together as they follow the Lord's will for their lives. We want to give it away and live generously. And so many of you have just modeled that, just all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us because of His generosity in and through you. But we also want to make an impact. And so next Sunday, well, you're going to be in here with with me at 9.30. There's going to be so many of our Sunday school and small groups that at 8 o'clock and at 9.30 and 11 o'clock that are going to be in the gym with our pastor of spiritual development, Pat Finley, and our Next Steps pastor, Robbie Evans. And we're going to be going over the necessity of finding your place. Of what is the gift that God has given you to make an impact? What is it that God is calling you to be faithful to His work? And what does that look like in BA and beyond? And I'm so humbly grateful that so many of our, our faithful and diligent and incredible Sunday school and small group teachers are seeding their time so we can have a one-time impact to be and maximize the most faithfulness for the Lord. It is next Sunday. I realize it's a little bit unique within our calendars. But God is working uniquely among us. And so next Sunday, I want you to be ready, church. I want you to come expectant to find your place. Focus on Jesus with faithfulness to His work. Now, predictably then, 
the church faced bitter opposition. Satan-filled persecution in the book of Acts as they fulfilled Christ's mission, specifically a group, the Sadducees, the Bible says. As we pursue God's mission, we should not be asking why are we experiencing persecution, but why not? I mean, you and I are in the world, but not of the world. You and I, yes, we have an enemy who's defeated, an enemy who's despised you, hates you because God loves you. An enemy that wants the last thing you and I to do is to be focused on what God has called us to do. God, may we be faithful to the work that you've called us to do. May we stay focused on Jesus. The early church wasn't immune from this. Look at verse 18. And they were arrested and put in a public prison in verse 18. You see, the Sadducees controlled the temple operations. They controlled all aspects of what went on within the temple day by day. And they were zealously, jealously enraged and angered by the divine, compelling work of the apostles among God's people. They could not manufacture in the temple. They could not match the work of Christ through his people. And so unjustly, they arrest these apostles and they place them in public prison. Put them among common prisoners and look what the Lord does in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the prison doors and brought them out. Now, you don't think our God has a sense of humor? You see, the Sadducees were theologically liberal. The Sadducees were mostly aristocrats, wealthy landowners. They controlled the daily temporal operations because of their economic benefit. They controlled the means of sacrifice. They assigned the priest regionally, who through economic kickback would provide a handsome sum to them. You then have these apostles who were proclaiming by faith in Jesus Christ, who were powerfully demonstrating the work of Christ. Your life could be changed. You see, this was bad for business. And so the Sadducees didn't believe in the physical resurrection. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, and they did not believe in angels at all. And so it's almost as if God our Father said, oh, really, huh? You don't believe in angels. Well, we'll just see about that. And so in verse 19, the Lord sends an angel who supernaturally as God's messenger, release these apostles from this locked prison and commands them in verse 20 to boldly share the gospel in the temple. And the Bible says, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach in verse 21, which gives us our second essential in staying focused on Jesus. We must be faithful to his work. Number two, we must obey his word. The apostles, without hesitation, obeyed and began to teach the crowds in the temple. We had an opportunity in our services this week to, to honor our veterans, to say thank you for these men and women, for their faithful service to our country. God, by His grace, has always allowed us as a country to send our best to those who are in need. We are so grateful for your faithful service. But you, better than anybody, could tell us that if you don't obey orders, there are drastic consequences. 
Your life depends upon it. Do we hold God's Word to the same standard? Do we have within our minds and hearts to whatever it is that the Lord is telling us to do to obey as if lives depended upon it? You see, obedience is essential to being a genuine spirit-led disciple of Jesus. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in John 14, verse 15? If you love me, obey my what? My commandments. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, that as a way of life, this church, they said they would obey God rather than man. You and I, as a means of life, See God's commands always exceeding man's commands. That we will give our life to one master, and his name is Jesus. Now, the Bible also says that God has providentially set up men and women who are over us. That our forms of government and civil order and civic leaders are providentially given by God as a means to give him glory. And so as you and I continue to do life, we are to abide by our Constitution as a means of devotion to the Lord. We are to respect and to pray for our national leaders and public leaders as a means of devotion and service to the Lord. That locally, our municipalities, we are to support these men and women, pray for these men and women. We are to follow the laws that God has established here as a means of result of faithfulness to His providence with two caveats. You see, we are to obey God in order to do anything that God forbids. We are to obey these laws. We are to respect and prayerfully follow these leaders. These two exceptions. We obey God in order to do anything that God forbids. God's commands always exceed man's orders. Which means then that the midwives were right in the book of Exodus to not obey the order of Pharaoh to kill all male children. And in God's providence, he gives us Moses. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded to bow down before a graven image in Daniel chapter 3, verse 11. They disobeyed. They were right. They gave their lives to the Lord to follow him and his orders. When Herod in Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, ordered the Magi to report to him the location of the baby Jesus, they rightly refused. Why? Because when ordered to do anything, God forbids, we obey God. Secondly, we obey God when forbidden to do what God commands. I'll remind you of Daniel and Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, resolved to not defile himself to eat at the king's table, but to rather trust in purity what the Lord had commanded him to do. In fact, you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, at the summit of his temptation by Satan, told Satan that you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. We are to obey His Word. We are to trust the Lord. And we are to stay focused on Jesus. 
Now, as a result of this, Luke tells us in verses 21 through 26 that immediately, as a result of the obedience of the apostles, the Sanhedrin began to convene and to confer with one another, what are we going to do with these men? Now, amazingly, and unbeknownst to them, these apostles aren't even in their prison cells. Even though the doors are locked, the prison is secure, the guards and the captain were on duty, according to verses 22 and 23, they were not in their prison cells. Now, amazingly, commentators for years have wondered aloud, who in the world was this captain of this prison cell? The Sagon was a significant individual in the temple. Despised the high priest, he was second in command of all temple authority. And for years, biblical commentators have wondered aloud, who was this man? Biblical archaeologists have recently discovered evidence through images that have given us unquestioning validity on who it was this night that was over this prison cell that allowed, miraculously, these apostles to disappear. It was this guy. I don't know about you, but this story in Acts just got way more interesting, didn't it? Doesn't this all make sense now? This truly is more than a miracle. And so according to the Bible, someone then, probably Otis, notifies the council that these apostles are teaching the gospel to people in the temple, according to Acts 5, verse 25. And so now the council agreed. We must not seize them. We must not kill them due to the fearful reaction of the people. These people are going to seize and dispose of us. And so eventually they sent the captain in verse 28. They sent Barney to get them, to bring them back to the Sanhedrin and the high priest, probably Caiaphas, to indict them for disobeying the Sanhedrin's orders not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now, something interesting. Did you notice that the high priest, Caiaphas, seethingly doesn't even mention the name of Jesus. Furthermore, it is interesting that the high priest says nothing of them not being in prison because this miracle is a miracle that no one can explain, but yet no one can also deny. You see, now you know their true intent. You see, these Sadducees were aristocrats, wealthy landowners. They were doing anything to quelch, to squell the reputation, the fame, the legend of these apostles. Anything to distract the people's captivating hearts towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is within this context that Luke tells us what happens next in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him in the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. As we stay focused on Jesus, we must be faithful to his word. We must obey his word Number three, we must communicate 
boldly his gospel. Faithful to his work, obey his word, communicate boldly to his gospel. In contrast to so many of us today who are scared to speak, Christ speaks boldly through his people in Acts 5. Peter obediently preaches the gospel. Courage, boldness to the very men who commanded him to stop. Peter then intensely charges the Sanhedrin that it was their means of rejecting. It was their means of executing Christ on the cross. It was their means of making Christ a curse among all men, for he would be hung on a tree. But in light of God's providence, in God's sovereign will, these men's heinous rebellion was in complete alignment to God's plan. And thus Peter clearly notifies them that though they unjustly crucified Jesus, God raised him up. It's within this power that you and I stand today. That Christ followers are freed by Christ to free other people through faith in Christ. That you and I all come before a holy God. We fall short. We are sinners saved by grace. But what man says is a curse, God says it's a blessing in Christ. For Christ took upon himself the totality of our sin. And thus by faith in Christ, you and I are justified before a holy God. What was once condemned is now resolved through faith. So much so, Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is this freedom that you and I offer to those who God places around us freely. It is this power that God works in and through us. This risen power. And it's this power that God assures us that as we communicate boldly through His gospel, that God works mightily among His people. So much so, Peter goes on to say in verse 31, that God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel, the forgiveness of sins. That it is Jesus who is the sole source of eternal life, the sole means of eternal access to God. And amazingly, these apostles continued this interaction with the Sanhedrin in verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things. And so was the Holy Spirit, they said, for whom God has given to those who obey Him. And when they heard this, in verse 33, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. The powerful, convicting, persistent, spirit-empowered witness of the apostles figuratively sawed in half the Sanhedrin. That's his point. That the message of this gospel in and through the apostles, instead of leading to repentance, instead of leading to forgiveness, among the Sanhedrin, it literally sawed them in half. Can I tell you, in a society that is becoming rapidly more secular, in a world now that is not modern, not postmodern, but is post-truth, we, we actually have enlightened men and women in our society that think things are great. You and I must, here we go, fourthly, as we stay focused on Jesus, we must be unflinching in our witness for him.
It is the collective, truthful witness of the apostles that caused this internal reaction among the council. And instead of them falling on their knees and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, their natural reaction was to kill these men. They wanted to take them out. But God intentionally and providentially intervenes. He does so by a teacher of the law, the Bible says, a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, one who historians say was given the title, the beauty of the law. A man arises among the 71-member Sanhedrin, who was the most prominent teacher of his day. He was the first rabban in all of Jewish history, the master teacher. He was also, incidentally, within God's providence, the mentor of Saul of Tarsus, according to Acts chapter 22, verse 3, who would repent of his sins and call on the name of Christ and who would ultimately be the apostle Paul. It is Gamaliel who indifferently intervenes. He gives a stoic pragmatism, provides Bible-less counsel to the council in verses 34 and 39. There's no petition to seek the Lord. There's no searching the Old Testament scriptures. There's no who is the Messiah this is the wisest man in all of Israel? This is the rabban, the master of teacher of the rabbinic law? Can't you see now the circumstance of what the apostles find them in? Can't you see now the age-old truthism that any law is based upon the character and integrity of the individual who wants to enforce that law? It is within this setting that these apostles were faithful, focused, unflinching in their witness for him. You see, there's a reason why this Pharisee stood up. Though the Sadducees were concerned with the economic impact of these apostles, the Pharisees represented the people. The Pharisees we're trying to mitigate the reaction of the people. Remember when Jesus heals Lazarus in John chapter 11, one of the most amazing miracles in all the Bible? A man who had been dead for several days. And then Jesus comes and says, rise and walk. And he walks out of a tomb. And instead of these Pharisees calling upon the name of the Lord, you ever seen that happen before? I haven't. You ever seen anyone who gave life-changing power? I haven't. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can and instead of them repenting of their sins and their traditions and calling upon the name of Christ, no, the Bible says in John 11, verse 45 and 47, that they reason together, what must we do with this man? How can we take him out? How can we handle this? How can we cancel him? How can we control this message? It's the same exact intent right here, which is why I'm not benevolent to Camellia's counsel at all. This isn't wise pragmatism. This is unbiblical. This is man-centered. This is agenda-driven. And the Lord never honors that. 
Can you see why there's any wonder why this council, fleshly then, corruptly and unjustly, flogs these apostles? Look at verses 40 and 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. They charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer and dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. More than likely, each of the 12 apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin and once condemned were whipped on their chest and back 39 lashes. According to the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 3. The means in which the executioner did this was a three-stranded leather whip. Each whip, they would have been asked, repent, confess, and they chose not to. And after standing before their brothers in Christ, in the power of Christ, upon their release, these apostles did not complain. They did not compromise but rejoiced to be considered worthy to effectively share the gospel of the name above all names. These apostles' actions are convicting, are they not? But oh, I pray as we leave here, they're encouraging. They're motivating because their sole reaction to this was joy. And as we walk out of here and do life and focus on Jesus, fifthly, we must be steadfast in our joy in his name. You see, their ministry wasn't hindered or inhibited whatsoever. They probably recounted to themselves the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount where he says in Matthew 5, 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are we, saved, loved, changed, redeemed, freed, and empowered to live for the one name that matters above all names. And so as a result, they joyfully chose to obey God rather than men. They chose Jesus above anything else. They tell us that Jesus is worth any sacrifice or suffering. Any inconvenience that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. You see, Jesus gives his followers fearless joy because he is worthy of anything he asks of us. I can't help but think as you walk out of here and do life, and as the Lord entrusts to you this faithful ministry of life, this stewardship of possessions and responsibilities and conversations, the privilege that you have this week to walk in such a manner. Stay focused on Jesus. Because I'll tell you, if you focus on what Jesus has called you to do, you will far exceed anything you thought you could ever do. I mean, three and a half years ago, who would have ever thought that these men would do such amazing Jesus-centered 
kingdom-building, life-altering things. The Lord did. Jesus did. And that's why he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. May we stay humble. May we stay ready. May we stay focused to what God has for us each and every day. By being faithful to his work, to obey his word, to communicate boldly his gospel, to be unflinching in his witness for him, and steadfast in our joy. In the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. May God, as he's faithfully done through his early church, may he do it through our church as we stay focused on Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we have this time of response, don't you just love the Bible? Don't you just love, I pray, the book of Acts? Aren't you just humble, amazed, a little bit convicted, but I pray even more encouraged by the work of the Lord through his people? In this time of response, would you prepare your heart for what the Lord has for you? What is it that God is asking of you? Focus can change your life. Focus is a key to spiritual growth. Focus is what the Lord can use to change your life. What is it he's asking you to focus on? Would you just give whatever it is to him right now? For those of you who have been focusing on other things, been pursuing other things, it is so true. Your life flows where your focus goes. Can I tell you that you're among friends this morning? We've all done that in some form or fashion. And though in doing so, we've made ourselves the center of our world, king of our universe, can I tell you that we were never meant to be king? That you were made to be a king. You were made by God to live for God. And though we've all lived and loved for ourselves, God gave his life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross, as you've heard through the testimony of Peter, came a curse for us on a cross. And just as God has always done, takes man's worst, gave his best, on that cross, God put the totality of your sin and my sin, judged Christ for the wages of sin is death. But in light of who Jesus Christ was, fully God, fully man, in light of what Jesus Christ has done, paid through his death, through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, you can today have eternal life. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Change your mind to change your life. You saw what happened to a crowd today, the Sanhedrin, who didn't. Oh, I can't wait to see what God can do through you 
when you do. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast and always remember you are loved.